welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're featuring guitarist Jocelyn Gould. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. Episode 37, Jocelyn, Gould, Perry, and Will. Great to see you guys. And yes, it's the same episode number as my age now that I have turned 37. I'm in my late 30s. Perry, I have joined you, man. How are you doing out there this week? I'm good, too. Yeah, you've, you've finally caught up to me. We're both 37, and feels good, so I hope you're feeling good. Feels good. Just trying to fund that retirement account, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, good man. Good thing you chose to be a jazz guitarist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Gosh, us jazz guitarists, you know, with our retirement. Bagging groceries, I guess, perhaps, or, or not, no. So, John, what's your sign? A Taurus. You're Taurus, okay. So I'm I'm Leo Virgo. I'm on the cusp. And Will, what are what's your sign? I'm an Aries. Aries, and you're turning 22 next. Uh, is that what's happening? I, I just turned 32. Uh, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 22. God, what was well, I doing? I was 22. Anyway, I tell you, this is these are these are our golden years to be producing a, a jazz guitar podcast. 32 to 37, 38, right in there. And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, kind of generational stuff here, we've got this amazing guitarist joining us today, Jocelyn Gould. She hails from Canada. And uh, it's interesting, you guys, during the pandemic, I've certainly discovered more guitar players than ever before on Facebook and Instagram, just because it's been the entire way I've been connecting to the scene, both here in L.A. and abroad. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. And I'll start with Will here. Um, you know, you guys have both of you, Will and Perry, you guys have done a lot with your social medias, too. And Will, what's something you feel like during the pandemic has kind of evolved or changed for you with social media that in your own way of how you're getting your music out there to your listeners? Well, for myself, I mean, I personally feel that it's kind of like a calling card now rather than uh, an occasional artistic statement where I might just like, I don't even post that many photos anymore. Maybe I should, I should just like post a photo of my guitar. Cause it's usually something I've recorded, something I'm performing, something I'm ready to present like a minute long Instagram recital. You know what I mean? Because I, I'm not playing many live shows. I'm not, you know, we're not promoting any new West shows. So it's kind of our only way of really putting our music in someone's hands mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. Um, kind of a double edged sword. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to experiment, too, with how people respond to things, you know, and like the trend of looking into the camera now is such a big deal. And that used to be so like not an M.O. to do that. And now that's what everyone's doing in the guitar world. Funny enough. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, don't forget to do that. I mean, and Perry, gosh, we've sure seen it evolved a lot since our time at SC when Facebook was launched in 2004. It was just a page with one picture and just some of your contact information. And now Facebook, you know, whether the party's over with it or not, it's still a way that we're meeting guitar players and stuff. I mean, what, what's been your kind of preferred platform this past year? Has it been Facebook, Instagram? 
TikTok. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm really making a push to go back to MySpace combined with your Sonic Bids uh, <laughs> EPK. I think that was kind of the high watermark for all social media. So count it on MySpace, yeah. put everything I own into it. So here's hoping. I know. No, I know. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, especially Instagram, I think is pretty popular with most of the community now. Uh, TikTok is kind of going going to probably take over in a little bit. Facebook, I do feel like is kind of dead yeah. <laughs> in so many ways. I don't know what they'd change with their algorithm, but something is not quite right. I mean, I have twice as many followers on Facebook as I do on Instagram, yet I have one-tenth the reach or something on Facebook compared to Instagram. So I, I tend to focus more on my efforts on Instagram and YouTube. But what has really changed since the pandemic, which I think we've all benefited from, is that or at least in some ways, is that you don't really have to use your Instagram or your social media accounts as like mm -hmm. promotional vehicles for your gig. You can use them as like an artistic output or a way to connect truly with your audience as opposed to advertising them to come to a venue or come to a place. And I think that that's been kind of a welcomed change. Like I've noticed a lot of people in the guitar community or outside the guitar community that can kind of just be more artistic with their social media. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's funny you'd mention that because something I've thought about a lot this year is I actually miss the stress of promoting shows and wondering who's going to come because miss to it? I miss it because to me it, it builds character and muscle and it also makes me appreciate how many people come to the shows even if it's a smaller audience and you know uh, my career is not help propped up entirely by how many people come to the shows as much as it is getting out artistically and playing shows so I kind of miss it a little bit but it, it's been interesting to not have that muscle inflex this year of saying okay everybody this is my current show come out see you guys I'm selling tickets and I guess it has inspired me to be more creative with what I'm putting up on social media because there's just more of a statement of this is what I'm doing. Check it out. And thanks for, for watching. So that's interesting, man. It's an interesting thing. And, you know, Jocelyn, the guest today, I think has done such an awesome job at getting herself out there and, you know, showcasing, you know, her arrangements, her transcriptions, her teaching, you know, she's an avid teacher up there. And uh, so we should dig right into this interview because she's, um, she was a delight to have on the podcast and uh, yeah, just stoked for our listeners who haven't checked her out yet to hear more about her story. Very interesting background from where she came mm -hmm. from to where she is now. So um, before we get to the episode, I just want to give a shout out again to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you all. You're helping us meet our spring pledge goal of 25 subscribers. Uh, we got some new videos with New West coming out. We've got some playing content on the Patreon. So be sure to go over there if you want to hear Will, Perry, and I do some playing. Uh, also check out Teespring for some merch for high action. And be sure to visit newwestguitar.com because in the upcoming months, we are anticipating doing some shows in person. So thank you guys for tuning in. Without further ado, episode 37 with Jocelyn Gould. Jocelyn, we're stoked to have you on High Action today. And, uh, you know, it's fun speaking to people 
in other places, being that I'm in Los Angeles and it's nice and sunny outside, I can only imagine what the weather is like up in Winnipeg today. Is it beautiful up there? <laughs> it actually is really amazing. We went through a super rough February. We get right. our winters go down to like lows of minus 40 um, Fahrenheit. So it's, <laughs> it can get pretty darn cold. So, but then when things start getting nice, it's really beautiful up here during yeah. the summer. Yeah. I've just been to Winnipeg once and it was gorgeous. The lakes up there are beautiful. I've always wanted to go up and do some fishing up there. I know it's really gorgeous stuff. So yes, head on, head up, head up here. That's right. Well, again, we're stoked to have you today. And, um, you know, one of the joys of this podcast for us in the new West guitar group is just getting to hang out with our friends who are players. And there's some of our guests like you, Jocelyn, who we actually haven't met in real life. We've just interacted with on Instagram and Facebook. And you know, it's funny, I guess it's a generational thing, but a lot of us younger jazz players were first, instead of meeting on the bandstand or meeting at gigs, we're meeting like this on Instagram and Facebook. And, um, you know, this time we're in is so crazy. I mean, have you found it to be kind of a productive time to spread the word about the music that you're putting out? And uh, have you been um, kind of working on a lot of your social media work too? Yeah, it's been such an interesting, interesting period of time with bigger kind of gaps to figure out, okay, what do I kind of want to do on a larger scale? I'm not, you know, schlepping my amp on the A train right now. So what do I, what do I want to do with myself kind of in a, a larger, a larger, bigger idea? And I was reading an article this morning that was saying that they, they took a, a survey from of musicians or of artists and asked, are you like, would you like everything to return exactly how it was post like pre pandemic? Would you like things to just go exactly to the way they used to be? And apparently not a single artist said yes. So that's kind of interesting. I think this has given a, a lot of people a lot of um, just kind of time to, to think about how they'd like to grow and, and kind of improve their situation. It's so true. I mean, none of us could have foresaw this happening. And, uh, you know, kind of zooming out a little bit, uh, no pun intended there, but uh, <laughs> thinking a little bit about, you know, early on in your career, going way back here, one of the things we love talking about here is well, where all of our artists, uh, when all of our artists got started. I'm really curious to learn, you know, uh, you. so your family background is that you grew up in Canada and you're Mennonite, is that true? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Super Menno. Wow. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that culture, I, I'm a, I'm from a farming community in Eastern Oregon, which is kind of might as well be Mennonite. You know, it's very similar. Everyone farms together and people kind of, not a lot of people have cell phones still to this day, you know, which is really fun, wow. you know, call wow, and get wow. the old school voicemails, um, uh, landlines. Right. But you know, I know singing is a big part of that culture. There's a lot of choir music. So did you grow up doing a lot of singing together as a family? Were your parents musical? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of cool. I didn't realize until I left Winnipeg. I grew up here in Manitoba. All my family are, well, Mennonites, like, originally immigrated to um, Canada, U.S., and Mexico from Russia and my so my grandparents both immigrated one to Canada one to Mexico and then up to Canada so um but Manitoba is like where a ton of the Mennonites settled and um 
it's it's like a pretty incredible singing culture. My dad told me that the Mennonite hymn book was the first hymn book to include music notation as well as like words to hmm. to the hymns. Um, apparently, originally it was all just kind of the the words to the hymns. Mm-hmm. So he's he was an elementary music teacher for his career. So he's oh. really kind of into music education and. He just, he said that that's one of the reasons that Mennonites kind of are, there's like a culture of, of learning music and of singing and the choirs here can just be like, everyone sings. It's really kind of cool. It doesn't really matter if you're good or bad. Everyone just sings because that's what you do. Just like everybody rides bikes or, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fascinating and, and really fun and, and very inviting because as a young person, it, you have a chance to just be musical and to be musical in a very informal way. So that got you interested in kind of folk songs when you were younger and up until you were kind of in your teens because one thing I, I learned about you is that you've grown up and kind of actually similar to me, Jocelyn, I grew up doing a lot of folk music too, um, bluegrass and folk music, but um, that you were kind of into that first before discovering all of the jazz guys, correct? Yeah, exactly. So like Johnny Mitchell grew up just down the road and we have Neil Young. Um, he's from Toronto or, or like the Toronto area originally, but he grew up in Winnipeg. So kind of his formative years were here and we're very proud of that here. <laughs> and um, you, so just kind of like the, a lot of, of those, the greats from that period of time are from around here. And so that's just what I listened to growing up. That was just kind of the, the music to listen to. We have like a huge folk festival here, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I didn't really even know that that was like a genre. I just thought that was what music was Yeah. and um, just kind of grew up. Yeah. Loving singing. And eventually when I was 13, wanted to, um, learn just how to accompany myself on those songs. Yeah. So that was how. What was your uh, first guitar? It was this like really terrible Yamaha acoustic, uh, classical guitar of my mom's. She, she used to play guitar when I was a kid right? and I like just, it was like her like prized possession. It was just like a cheap guitar, but she loved it. But I destroyed it as a teenager. And she still brings it up sometimes. Like, remember my guitar that you trashed? <laughs> um, I just, I kind of just like took it over. And that was what I played until I was like 19. Right. Um, just this crappy, this crappy uh, um, classical guitar. Yep. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm, I'm drawing these parallels because like I grew up playing a Takamini and I beat the heck out of that thing. And I went to jazz camp with that guitar and and could not play in the combo because I was literally playing acoustic nylon string with like saxophones. I remember the teacher being like, you know, you're going to have to get an electric guitar if you want to come back to jazz camp next year. And I was like, yeah, I really want to get a Gibson L5. And he's like, yeah, you're going to have to mow a lot of lawns to buy a Gibson L5. <laughs> Did you do it? Did you mow all those lawns? Yeah, I painted some houses this summer in 98 and I bought myself... This 98 Epiphone Casino right here with that, $600. I remember the exact money at Musician's Friend, $638.50 or something. I remember that exactly. Amazing. Yep. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and and so I'm curious then, how how did you come upon Grant and Wes and Kenny and all of the, our heroes that, that we all you know love and adore? Yeah, I well, I got into 
B.B. King first and the great blues guitarists. Mm -hmm. I loved T-Bone Walker. Kind of just got into blues. And then from there, it was an easy, easy, easy step. Um, Because they're, you know, coming, that's such a a common, common place for jazz guitarists or Mm -hmm. jazz music. So that was, that was how it happened. Yeah, I spent about a year really, really into blues. And then, um, and then started listening to Wes and Grant. Mm-hmm. And uh, mostly Wes Montgomery was kind of my first real love. Mm-hmm. Um, my first love in jazz guitar. Yeah. Did you have opportunities as a teenager to start playing some jazz around uh, around Winnipeg? No, I didn't. I didn't do high school band or anything like that. I And then I didn't. I was like a bedroom, you know, I played guitar in my bedroom until I was like 19 years old. So I was like too, too scared. I think I valued it so much. I wanted to be a good guitar player. And I was like, no one can hear me until I, I don't know, some weird teenager mentality. But um, I graduated from high school and started a degree in chemistry. So didn't even, it wasn't on my radar for a couple of years. And then Two years into my chemistry degree, um, the University of Manitoba had a really cool program going and it was building and all these amazing musicians were coming to Winnipeg to teach here. And I just sort of made a total 180. I bought a Gibson 359 and (laughs) delivered pizza for six months to buy it (laughs) and um, auditioned for that program and was lucky to get in. So that was sort of the that was the beginning of it. I really, really didn't um, didn't do much in my teen, teenage years. Got it. Got it. And so then huh. after you finished in Manitoba, did you go right away to University of Michigan to study with Randy for your master's or did you take some time off and start gigging a little bit? Yeah, I took a couple of years off and was at that point, by the end of my bachelor degree, I was pretty much gigging full time. Winnipeg's really cool in that there's a lot of places to play and a really cool little community. Mm-hmm. So I was I just took a couple years off, just played, practiced, um, did a little bit of teaching, but not too much, and then uh, auditioned for master's degrees. So, yeah, a couple years. Yeah, that's interesting. What other? I'm just curious, were you also looking at right away going to New York at that point or some other or, or UNT or some of these other schools for your master's? Yeah, that had been my hope was to go straight to New York. Um, it turned out to be the biggest blessing that uh, that could have existed that I ended up at Michigan State um but of course there's all sorts of external factors Mon- I mean money being the biggest one mm-hmm. uh, especially as an international student mm-hmm. the you know American school system can be a pretty big financial burden so ended up um yeah uh um but Michigan State I'm as soon as I met Randy it was just like, oh, this is the best fit ever. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I just was immediately like, oh, I want to play like you. I want to be a part of this. I oh, want yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great music program. Was Benny Green there for a little bit while you were there too? He was living in Ann Arbor. Um, he was teaching at Michigan, University of Michigan. University of Michigan. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ann Arbor's such a hip town. We've been up there with New West a bunch and played Carytown and a few of those venues. Uh, the Ar- well, we haven't played the Ark yet, but that's a great venue as well. 
Um, and Randy, you know, we all know Randy. Randy's been out here to L.A. a bunch. Um, he's in that scene that, you know, he would come over and play at the Mint with Kevin Cantor and a lot of that stuff. That's where I first met him, and we got to hang. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's a great guitar player. I, I hear a lot of his influence on your playing, a lot of the technique and the, your approach to the instrument, too. What, you know, was Randy encouraging you at that point to sing these standards that you were playing, too, in addition to, to playing them? Um, he did a little bit. Mostly we just focused on, on guitar though. Mm -hmm. Um, a little, a little bit every now and then we would sort of do a little bit of that, but mostly, yeah, mostly it was, it was just guitar. Nice. Nice. And then, yeah. and then again, just for our listeners, cause you know, we, we love connecting the dots. I, kind of a big mission of our podcast is so that people can really learn about kind of how our, how these, all of our guests got from say their schooling into what they're doing now i'm curious you, did you go right to new york then or did you go spend some time in detroit too yeah i just went straight straight to new york um i would have loved to stick around but um i think it just made sense yeah. to to pack up and go go to new york that was sort of the plan like it was not really ever going to be any other way yeah that was that yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And of course, New York epicenter of, of jazz for everything. And for, for all of us guitar players, um, by the time you got to New York, did you have a lot of your sights set on at that point, becoming a touring artist, or were you also trying to keep your eyes on teaching opportunities being that your father was a music, uh, teacher. And did you kind of see yourself sort of wanting to invest your, your efforts in either or at that point? Yeah. Um, well, I was all about playing and didn't really see myself becoming an educator so early on. Um, I think my time in, in Michigan sort of led me to the realization that teaching and performing and touring, it's all kind of the same thing. And it's all just a part of being a musician and being a part of this music. But at that time, I just wanted to like get out and play and get around. I mean, the ridiculous thing about New York is that you can just go see anybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so, and being from Winnipeg, that's a huge novelty. So the idea that I could be like, well, you know, maybe I'll go like check out Peter Bernstein's first set here and then mm -hmm. go see Mark Whitfield play over here. And then, you know, just that, that was just like so exciting for me. So just trying to get around around the, the musicians that I love and try to see if I could get to play. Right. Yeah. Sort of my, my plan. Who are some of the players that you were playing with out there jamming with, or some of the, some of the people that kind of became your core group of musicians by the time you settled out there a little bit? Yeah. I, I played some really fun gigs and this was, we were kind of just starting to do a little bit more of it when I, when the pandemic hit, but I was playing with this, um, amazing bass player named Jamil Davis. And we were um, playing at Fat Cat every now and then and did some gigs. He's from Jersey. So we were doing some gigs in Jersey. And um, that was really, really fun. I was also doing some really fun stuff with um, Jan Danny Janacucci, who does so many things. He leads like small bands, leads Bit multiple big bands, um, yeah. just so that was awesome. Um, I was getting to play with a lot of my mentors, so I did play um, 
a couple gigs with Randy, um, a couple gigs with um, Michael Dees, who was also a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a lot of just like running around. I was in the stage where I was just like running around kind of all the time. Yeah. How, how did that inform your um, kind of your musical direction too? you know, coming from working with Randy, who's, you know, such a phenomenal ensemble player, great solo guitar player too. And you get to New York mm-hmm. and there's Pasquale, a lot of guys that are really pursuing solo guitar there too, in addition to playing with a lot of people. Um, did it kind of change mm-hmm. your perspective a little bit about your sound, some of the things you were going for, going for something, you know, kind of being in more of the modern scene with a lot of guys there? Or did it also confirm the fact that you wanted to play really straight ahead and play a hollow body and, and do all that? Yeah, I would say it definitely confirmed just what I was, what I, what I've been, you know, trying to do and kind of the path that I set on with Randy in terms of trying to, to, you know, study, pick a few of the great guitar players and study them and really try to sort of um, internalize their sound, their style. And for me, it was just so exciting that there are so many people who are so brilliant that I could go here and be like, that's like, they're doing what I would like to be able to do. And so how can I get there? How can I, you know, which I, I guess is how every, we'll all be for our whole lives. But um, yeah, so it really kind of confirmed like, oh, here, there's so many people who have, you know, who are on such a high level doing exactly what it, what I'm passionate about. Today's episode of High Action is brought to you by Marchione Guitars. Stephen Marchione is a luthier based in Houston, Texas. He's been building guitars since 1990. His style is extremely unique. He builds uh, classicals, arch tops, steel strings, solid bodies, and even violins. He's studied uh, makers like Jimmy DeQuisto and John D'Angelico. And his style is both a combination of modern uh, technology and design with old school tradition in terms of how arch top guitars are built. My 16 inch arch top I purchased in 2017 is incredible. I love playing that guitar. Um, and so if you'd like to hear more recordings of the 16 inch arch top or learn more about Marchione guitars, visit marchione.com. I always love hearing musicians talk about when they moved to New York and got involved out there because there's so much enthusiasm. I mean, we all know it's difficult, but it is super exciting. I never moved to New York, but fortunately with Perry out there and New West, been able to spend a, a fair amount of time there. And every time I go to visit, I just, I love it. It's the same thing. It, it, it energizes me for sure to see what everyone, hear what everyone's doing. Um, and you know, before we pass, cause I've got, I'd love to pass it over to Will and Perry. They've got some questions for you too. And we're going to play a track from your latest recording. Um, just another couple questions for you upon your return to Canada to teach at, is it, um, uh, Humber college? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing up there. Is this a guitar program you're running? Is it a part of a jazz studies program? And is, um, you know, let, let's hear about your, um, your teaching gig that you've got up there. Yeah. So Humber is in Toronto and it's the biggest jazz program or the biggest music program, post-secondary music pro- program in Canada. So Um, And we're, you know, a smaller population than the United States. So it's, you know, probably not actually that crazy. Um, But we've got so all it's a four year bachelor degree program. And 
the guitar department is pretty big. It's got 80, roughly 80 students in the guitar department and um, about nine, I think nine teachers. And so um, I took over for this uh, Toronto um, guitar player who had been doing this gig for 25 years um, Mm -hmm. as the head of the guitar department at Humber. His name's Ted Quinlan. So I took over for him. And during his 25 years, he really just kind of built it up to something pretty awesome. So cool. it's a lot of, yeah, teaching, lot, um, teaching and also the, you know, administrative work of, of kind of running a department of that size. Yeah. 80 is a lot. Wow. Do you, you know, I'm curious, I've had a lot of friends go to McGill in Montreal. Do you guys have international students from the United States that are coming up there and studying in that program too? Yeah, I actually had a student from Florida who, when I arrived, this was just like an amazing moment. When I arrived, he was already in his second year. So I was doing guitar auditions the first day back to school, like ensemble auditions. And he came in and he was like, you know, Randy Napoleon. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's my person. That's like my, you know, mentor. And he was like, Randy Napoleon is like my idol. He's my favorite guitar player in the whole world. So that was just kind of like a real nice moment of connect connecting. So <laughs> we spent all our time like checking out Randy's albums in our lessons. Sweet. Um, yeah. So we do get some international students, lots from overseas as well. Right. And then right now you've been just solely online up there too. Like we've all been down here. Yes. Correct. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting teaching college guitar curriculum online you know it's very it's so weird i've been teaching i teach at a college here too and it's i find it harder with advanced students than it is like sixth or eighth graders because you're like very simple stuff is very easy to teach like this but sometimes the the more interactive stuff can be a little bit tricky you know it's been a lot of solo guitar playing this year for sure (laughs) i find comping so hard to teach so i'm like so like in theory you can like imagine that somebody would like play a thing and then you're like reacting to it you know so if they played this rhythm maybe you would want to play this rhythm it's just like impossible (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's hard and there's so many things we can't teach our students even in the classroom they've just got to get out there and learn it you know and we all know that too um and and cool to hear a little bit of your teaching philosophy and at this point i would love to share just for the listeners here we're going to listen to a little clip from your brand new record that just came out so this is elegant traveler on positone records um, which congratulations it's up for it's being nominated for a juno this year so that's great way to go and the juno awards are in a week two weeks they're they're in may actually usually they're around now but they moved them back they moved them back got you well we're well wishing you the best of luck with that that's awesome congratulations um the record is really fantastic one of my favorite tunes on there that you did is all too soon which uh duke ellington wrote for jimmy blanton who had passed away the bassist um but it's i didn't know that wow yeah it's such a beautiful standard um Carl Sigmund wrote the lyrics, who also did If You Could See Me Now, which is such a beautiful standard. So um, Amazing. Nice pick with cool. that one. That's a rare tune. Oh. You don't hear, that's a rare Duke tune. You don't hear a lot of people play All Too Soon. 
So Rodney Whitaker hipped me to that tune. So that's why I know it. I think a lot of bass players know that tune just because it's in tribute to Jimmy, you know, who was Duke's bassist and died when he was 23 from tuberculosis or something like that. Crazy enough. But um, but this track is the game changer, which is a which is super cool. So let's take a listen here. This is the game changer off of Jocelyn's new record, Elegant Traveler. Sorry, I'm gonna restart that one moment. Nice stuff there, Jocelyn. I'd love to pass it over to Perry here. And again, delight to have you here. This is great. Hi, Thanks Jocelyn. So Good to hey, see Perry. you. Hey, Perry. Great to see you. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad that you're, you're doing well and things are going going good for you throughout this pandemic. Uh, I wanted to chat a little bit with you today about a few things, uh, starting with uh, just being a Canadian jazz artist. You know, uh, I've gotten, I had the pleasure to get to perform with a lot of different Canadian jazz artists. And uh, in some ways, I've always been very envious of uh, musicians from Canada. One of the first people I met uh, at a program in Banff was a guitarist named David Acapinti, who you may know the name. Fantastic. We teach together. Yeah, okay. I, th I thought I was familiar with that college. I know he's taught a lot up there. He's a brilliant guitarist, you know, incredible composer, you know, very forward-thinking guy. And I remember when I met him, he was, you know, had a nice grant from the Canadian Arts Council that had funded the studies he was doing and then also funded some records and funded some time for him in New York to study with Jim Hall. And I would come across other Canadians that were getting hooked up from the Canadian Arts Council. And it even benefited me to an extent for some of the people I played with. And so talk just a little bit about the support that you feel being a Canadian artist from whether it's your community in uh, Winnipeg or just the greater country and how that's helped you kind of going forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool that you know David. David's yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super, I didn't realize, this was sort of one of those things where you just sort of have what you have and don't necessarily realize how great it is. I didn't, I didn't realize how supportive Canada is of its arts community till I moved to the States and suddenly you can't just, you know, apply for a grant a few times a year. There's not like that support doesn't exist to the same capacity. Um, but so I didn't really make use of it before I left because I didn't realize it was special, but having come back, I'm pretty fortunate. I just received a couple of weeks ago, one of these Canadian oh, Arts really? Council grants. Oh, that's amazing. Congrats. So I'm hoping that it's enough to, my, jo my joke was, oh, this, this budget might be enough to bring back PC and Philly Joe for this album. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because it's so like, just so cool that, that 
the government is putting the money that they are putting into funding their artists. Um, so yeah, I, I spent, I was supposed to do a big tour last year. Of course it got canceled. So I've kind of got some touring money and some recording money, just kind of sitting, waiting for things to open up again so that I can use it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm glad to hear that it's still, the Canadian Arts Council is still providing opportunities for people because there was some time, uh, maybe this was 10 years ago or so, where it was um, shrinking. The budget for that was shrinking for a lot of artists. I remember David talking a lot about that and other artists that I knew up there talking about that it wasn't quite as robust as it used to be. So I'm glad that it's still uh, you know, helpful for you. Um, Definitely. And it might have it might have diminished, but like it might not be in its glory days right now, but it still seems pretty amazing, I think, especially yeah. just in comparison. Yeah, well, Canada certainly has a long tradition of, you know, just great jazz artists, you know, um, and, and also musicians like you mentioned, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young. These are some of my favorite artists as well. Um, but just kind of transitioning back a little bit to uh, some things about the guitar and, and your experience with this fantastic instrument we all love. Uh, you, you've played a few different guitars I've been able to see over the years, but I think primarily now are you playing the Benedetto? Yeah, yeah. I got that uh, a couple of summers ago, summer 2019. Um, yeah. yeah. And I know, they're, I know they're awesome guitars, um, and I've played a few people's guitars that I've really liked, but I have to admit, I've also played some Benedettos like at different trade shows and things uh, where they felt like too stiff for me. They felt like mm. too, um, I don't know how else to describe it. Like not, not like the smoothness of a, uh, a Gibson or different kinds of uh, arch tops. Talk to me about the, what you love about the Benedetto and what really, you know, resonates with you in terms of that. Guitar. Yeah, totally. Um, for me, I was playing uh, an Eastman before, and that was my first arch top. Was this Eastman? So it was. I bought it at Elderly Instruments used at Elderly Instruments in Lansing, Michigan, and um, it was just my first one. So I didn't really know much about how a guitar can feel, and I've never been like a big instrument. You know, I've kind of just had my have my guitar and that's what I play. And mm -hmm. I haven't, you know, been the type of musician who goes through a bunch, a bunch of instruments. And when I got this Benedetto, for me, it was sort of just like the sound all, all across the neck. On my Eastman, I had a really dead zone from like 10th to 15th fret on like the high EMB string. You couldn't like sustain a sound it would just kind of die and it was thin and just kind of and I would try like you know I had like an 18 on the high E string at one point and it still sucked and I was just like oh I must just suck and I have no sound and then I got this Benedetto and the kind of anywhere on the neck there's just no dead spots and the notes can just really ring and are resonant and um even so if i had to describe it i would say it's even across the instrument um there's no 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 areas that are kind of like oh i don't really like playing in this area because it doesn't sound as good so that's what's really and i'm still experimenting with strings i'm not sure what exactly the right string is yet. yeah that's an that's an important uh 
kind of area to experiment with or try to settle on something. I've been putting 13s on the top oh, and I guess wow. uh, a 12 set for the rest. So that's, what is the bottom of that? A 52, 52. 54? I always forget. Yeah. 52? Yeah. Um, and that's been, that's been kind of working for me. But, you know, we love kind of getting into the nitty gritty of setup and, and gear talk. And it's a guitar podcast. I mean, for Christ's sake. Amazing. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about like, um, like your setup, you know, the height of your action. Um, mm. I dig the sound you're getting. You know, I really like the sound you're getting out of the out of the box, and you're playing with a cool hybrid technique, which I think is always really interesting. So, talk a little bit about you know your setup and how you like to get the sound and the resistance that you go for and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I probably like anybody, I struggle with the pros and cons of high action versus low action. Yes. High action, of course, it gets hard to play. Um, you need so much more tension and it can be hard to play, you know, fluidly at faster tempos. Um, but low action, I sometimes feel like I'm overplaying the strings and I get that sort of buzzing, um, from, I get buzzing and it's just, I find it hard to dig in. So I'm constantly like, even sometimes like three times in a gig, I'll like raise my action and be like, Oh no. And then lower my action and be like, Oh, that's not it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so it's a constant battle for me. Like what action is the right action? And I think, um, for me, for sound, I'm really, I really just want to get, natural like I, I don't want to get in the way of the guitar the like I listen to you know amazing musicians that I love they they're the sound like they they can create they're not getting in the way they're not overplaying they're not um you know muting the sound and I think something that I really want to be cognizant of is that I'm allowing the sound to kind of resonate out of the guitar so I make sh- really sure that I'm not you know, touching the back, um, the back of the guitar. It's like pretty incredible. If you, a lot of guitar players, the way they sit, um, Randy hipped me to all this. You're having Randy. So you're just going to hear all this again. <laughs> um, but he hipped me to this. Like if, if the guitar is against your body, then the sound actually hits the back of the guitar and gets muted. It can't bounce. It can't bounce off that piece of wood. So that's why we sit the way we sit, um, with the guitar, not touching ourselves and then just trying to um i just want to be able to play like if i could just play one scale and have the sound be really nice i would be super happy just having having trying to create the the most resonant sound that i can out of the guitar and i think also i'm like that has a lot to do with angle of the pick as well Mm -hmm. for me yeah, definitely. Um, angle the pick is a, is a big one too. Like sometimes if I angle the pick back a little bit, I feel like I can get into a deeper swing, you know, but sometimes I want it to be angled a little forward for certain kinds of rhythm guitar stuff, you know, which is a big foundation on, on the box. And so there's to me, and I think a lot of our listeners, it's fascinating the little uh, details that go into jazz guitar, especially when you're playing a hollow body. And, uh, you know, we might be a little biased, I might be a little biased, but I think that the hollow body is, it's a hard instrument to capture a good sound on, like you're talking about. So I think you see a lot of players kind of tending for, trending towards like a 335 or a tele, just because they can cut easier, they can get a cooler sound kind of more quickly, where the, the, you know, the archtop does take sort of 
a, a long investigatory process, if you will. And it's funny that you mentioned that thing about the resonance on your body because, you know, some guitar players want that resonance in their body. Like Pete Bernstein talks about like feeling the vibration in your body, you know, and you're not going to say anything bad about his tone, you know. And we just interviewed nope. a really great guitarist from Istanbul the other week, Cenk, uh, Erdogan, Erdogan, who talked about that very thing. He plays a fretless nylon and he gets a beautiful sound, but he talked about being right up on the back of it and like feeling it in your soul in that way. So there's all these different schools of thought, um, which I really find interesting. So I think, I think with that, I'm going to pass it over to Will, but uh, thank you for taking the time to hang with us today and, you know, chat with me as well. Oh, thanks for, yeah, this is awesome. Most fun I've had in a long time. Yay. <laughs> it's nice to, uh, to virtually meet you finally. Um, I got to give you kudos. Are you doing a standing desk setup? Oh yeah. That's the only way How long have you <laughs> I have sitting is the new smoking. You can't, you just have to not sit too much. Um, well, since we went online, I was uh, like, I was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> I've thought a lot about that. And, and like, yeah, all the sitting we do, like I, something equivalent that I've kind of learned in the past year is, is the value of a footstool when when shedding for a long time if i'm just shedding sitting down for hours do you use a footstool ever like it's a game changer Seriously. i don't but i have i know people who do and they it's like yeah once you're i've heard that it is a life changer it is it is what are you laughing at perry deep question <laughs> deep question from will brahm over here wow. <laughs> Uh, no, I had to start with that because I, I, I'm, I, I need to make that, I need to make that commitment to do the standing desk thing. Um, so anyway, early, I love, I love what you and Perry were talking about, and I'm curious. I'm, um, not to stay in the gear realm for too long, but are you using um, flat mounts? Were you using flat mounts on that recording? No, that was round wounds. Um, I'm kind of going back and forth. I think that's my problem is that I never like stick with one thing for, or like, it's like always again, pros and cons round rounds. I can get you such a, you know, nice kind of round sound. Um, but then sometimes I sort of miss like the grit of, or sorry, flat wound. Sorry. can get you a nice kind of round sound, but sometimes I miss the grit of, some round wounds. And even though like I try to avoid the sound of like the pick grinding on the string, sometimes it kind of is like nice too. Um, just a little bit of that sound. I had to ask. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> um, so committing, committing mostly to, to hollow body guitars, how does that influence how you think about the language? Yeah, I, I could, I'll use the word the language that you want to play or the musical contexts. Like, do you mm -hmm. find yourself ever in context where you're like, oh man, this, this setup is kind of fighting me right now, whether it's dynamically or li literally just musically, like harmonically mm -hmm. going on? Yeah, that totally. I mean, I love funk music. I love like, you know, give me a wah pedal and out. Like I, I love that kind of music and I find myself just naturally sort of not doing it as much because I'm not really playing the rig for mm -hmm for that type of music. I played a gig um, in, this was sort of a big learning moment for me. And I, I will, I might even try to get like another rig for these types of gigs, but I played um, at the St. Lucia Jazz Festival with Etienne Charles, a like right before the pandemic, a couple of years ago now. And 
Um, I brought my pedal board because his stuff involves, you know, wah pedal and some different sounds. And I was playing my Eastman at the time. And I just, um, first of all, I had never played like on a big stage like that with, with my Eastman where it's like loud and kind of like just very, um, more like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a quartet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just got so much feedback. I had to put tape on the F holes of the guitar and it just didn't, it didn't do, I found myself really wishing I had been playing a Strat, um, or something, some type of like a Strat or a 335 even, but something that just is geared a little bit more to the electronic sound. And, um, if I were to start playing those types of gigs more often, I would definitely get another rig. And then I might get a phone call from Randy saying like, (laughs) (laughs) but phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But I love funk. I mean, I, you know, would love to, to get, get more into, into that. So that would need a different rig. You know, I'm glad you brought up the Eastman. Um, I have an Eastman that I've played off and on. I actually, when I joined, you see John and Perry are laughing. You know, Eastman guitars, nothing against Eastman guitars, but they do have a lot of dead spots, I'd say, across the board. Their guitars sound, I think their guitars sound best literally playing it alone in your room acoustically. That's where I think they shine. I think totally. you, you add in any other factor it starts working against you. But I have this hilarious Eastman L Ray. I don't know if you've seen this guitar. It's the weirdest looking, but it's a fully hollow guitar and it's really small <laughs> and it has like no low end. And it, it just has, it's yeah. And, and when I joined new West back in 2015, I was playing that guitar and oh my God, it's so hard to play like all of these lines and stuff there. So nothing against Eastman, but you know, <laughs> Last, last thing before I pass it to John, do you have any fun projects you have coming up that you're working on or thinking about? Yeah, so basically as soon as I can record my next record, I would love to to do that. I really, um, I would really love to record with, um, well, Rodney Whitaker on bass. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, such an important teacher of mine. And I would just love to document getting to play with him. So my hope is to get something with him set up basically as soon as, as soon as possible. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Nice. And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun. I know we're all, we, all of us are daydreaming about our next recording projects in person. I mean, some of us, I did a little bit of recording over the course of the pandemic in the studio with some people, but it's been pretty crazy here in LA. So haven't, I've been pretty hunkered down hard the last few months. Um, I bet. Yeah. And you know, just, um, just to kind of wind this down, um, by the way, I'll edit this out too. I just took a moment. The when I played your track a second ago, I accidentally started it on my little thing in the wrong spot. I'm gonna edit and put a lot more of your track in there, and I'm also probably gonna add either a fleeting moment or all too soon somewhere in here too. Um, oh, but cool. we were just a little short on time today, so I thought it would I could just press forward with that. So anyway, just makes sense. FYI. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Again. Uh, Let's see. I'll I'll pick it up from from Will. Yeah. So yeah. So the next projects and this album, Elegant Traveler, is really fantastic. Uh, what brought you to Positone uh, Records to put it out? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a suggestion from my one of my former professors, Mike Dees, a wonderful trombone player, and he works 
pretty intimately with Positone. And mm-hmm. so actually there's been a bit of like an MSU kind of thing, Michigan State. Um, Marcus Howell did one. Mm-hmm. There have been some students who have kind of graduated and then gone on to make their first record with Positone. So yeah, it was it was based off of off of that recommendation. Nice. I mean, I just love people of our generation really going full bore on releasing albums because of course, you know, we all are feeling the the push to just put out content constantly and little bits of content constantly. And of course, the art of making an album is so near and dear to my heart. It continues to be something in New West. As a guitar trio, we want to continue to put put out albums. We've done um, 11 recordings so far, I think, full-length records. So um, amazing. Yeah. And, and I just love that you've gone like that. And the tune choices is re- are really great. So I really recommend our listeners immediately after checking out the podcast today, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, go check out Jocelyn's new record. Um, so again, we're stoked to have had you today. This was really fun. And I think you answered the question a little bit, but you know, we have to ask all our guests how high their action is set. So, you know, how high is the action on your Benedetto? <laughs> Um, 16 uh, B this, this is a shout out to Howard Paul too, out there. <laughs> yeah. Hey Howard. Um, medium, medium high. I would say, I don't know. Is there like a measurement or do, or, do you give like a num like a number? We have no idea. We- <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, medium, I guess. Yeah. We we've <laughs> actually we've actually been hired by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics <laughs> to survey all the right. jazz guitarists to make sure that there's equity amongst the height of the action on the strings. It's important. So. <laughs> important. They've got their priorities straight. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, again, this is great. Where can our listeners go check out your stuff? Instagram and your website and any other place other than uh, through Positone as well. Yeah, um, Instagram and Facebook, just the handle is Jocelyn Gould Music and my website as well, jocelyngould.com. And yeah, that's that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here, Jocelyn. It was a real treat. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash Group. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.